a word that we need to associate with power is supremacy. Because if we're seeking power, then we're seeking supremacy. Welcome to the final episode of Season 3 of The Ethical Rainmaker, a podcast that explores the world of inequity in nonprofits and philanthropy, including the places we have been complicit or problematic ourselves, where we're causing harm, where we need to repair or change, where we should step into our power, and where we need to step out of the way. I'm your host, Michelle Shireen Murray. It's part of my desire and effort to bring zero-cost case studies, inspiration, and information to everyone in the third sector, and especially those who want to do better. So if you're learning or growing from this work, you can support The Ethical Rainmaker on Patreon. When was the last time you struggled with how to deal with someone else's problematic behavior? Maybe an uncomfortable situation or an ethical or unsafe behavior? When was the last time you severed ties with that person? When was the last time you fired a colleague or iced out a friend or disbanded a group? What we do with problematic behavior in workplaces, in neighborhood groups, in our families, in the burner community, in activist communities, whether in the kink community or our book clubs, it matters and most of us are shit at it. That's why we're talking to Kevin Baker. Kevin is a consultant whose mission focuses on making sure people can bring their authentic cultural selves to the workplace creating healthier, more open workspaces that better serve employees and their clients. And he does all this through a diversity and inclusion lens. Kevin, welcome to The Ethical Rainmaker. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here with you, Michelle. It's lovely to have you. I'm thrilled to be connected with you. And especially as we're talking about some juicy topics that most of us are terrible at, you know, so often in any group of people, there will be an incident that happens or maybe a series of incidents. And there will be someone that's at the center of it. There is backlash. And then there's a possibility of repair or the possibility that somebody might be canceled or fired or disowned. And, you know, we've got many examples across every sector. We've got many examples across every country, like every, every possible way. I'm sure you, we all have examples from our own lives. I know I have examples in mine. For me personally, I've... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> For me personally, I've, I've said and done a lot of ignorant things. I used to work at Northwest Immigrant Rights Project. And when I started working there, even though I came from an immigrant family, uh, even though my family had great values, you know, my dad was um, in a labor union and we were solid, but I still said and did plenty of ignorant things. And if my colleagues at Northwest Immigrant Rights Project had canceled me, I never would have grown. Instead, they kindly and softly educated me. So shout out to all my mentors at Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, to all my former colleagues. And as a result of their love and tenderness and their kindness and their willingness uh, to bring me along and their patience, I mean, I'm a much different person today than I would have been without their guidance. So that's why we're, we're talking to you today. It's an interesting topic in where we are in our world today. Because we we tend to talk about compassion and love and understanding and all of these things. And then the minute someone says something, bam, that's it. Right. All of that goes out the window and we want to cancel them or attribute some, you know, we want to label them, give them names and say that they are, you know, 
whatever, whatever phobic you want to imagine, right? Instead of asking a question and saying, hey, you know, I'm just wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about what you meant, right? Or what you're saying, or this is how it impacts me, right? And, um, you know, and, and generally when having these conversations, people will fall back to intent versus impact. Right. Right. And the question is, 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 you know, a whole bunch of people really need therapy. Right. But instead of going to therapy, they just they, they want to just get mad at someone else because they've said something that may have activated them or something within them that that other person has no idea. Of. Legit. Right. Yeah. Right. So people. Absolutely. People need to do their own work. Right. Self-reflect and get some therapy and stop trying to hang their own projections and, and activation on other people. Let's talk about that a little bit. How do we identify when we're being triggered and when the thing that is triggering us, the person that's triggering us is actually just our own shit? Thanks for the question. because that's, that's really foundational, right? And us being able to first identify when something happens, identify our internal feelings, right? What am I feeling within me? You know, and, and identifying what's happening in, in me, right? That's what sensations am I feeling in my body? What emotions am I experiencing? What am I thinking? You know, bringing all of that together, being able to separate those thoughts. And then being able to say, okay, what is the source of my feelings, right? Where is that coming from, right? Is it coming from outside of me, something that someone has said, or is it really coming from inside of me, right? Have I have someone said something that then activated something within me that's, that's giving me these emotions? And then how do I effectively express what I am feeling in my internal self, right? With ownership and responsibility, meaning that it's not your fault. It's, my, it's, it's, it's within me, right? And then how do I express that, right? How do I express that in a way where I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm having these feelings. You know, here's what I'm experiencing. And I'm just, you know, wanting to let you know what's going on within me. Mm. Right. So that you have some awareness. Right. One of the things that I, I asked the group that I was working with when um, someone said something that was ups upsetting and uh, name calling started, the you know, the first thing I asked the group was who here has not sinned? Which one of you all never took a piece of candy from a store when you were young? Lied to your mother or father or grandmama or granddaddy, you know, lied to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your or your partner. And if no one here has done that, then okay, come on with it. But if you have, then you need to express some compassion and understanding. Because if our objective is to learn and grow as a people and as a groups of people. You know, then we have to meet each other with compassion, love, understanding, you know, all of those things that we talk about, but don't always do. Yeah. So I'm hearing you say that part of our work is really to, frankly, be in therapy, which I agree with you completely on, right? Like some people, 
who have therapists, like I will hear them talk about how, you know, therapy was such a relief and therapy was really fun today. My therapy is not like that. My, my therapy is all about doing deep, deep interpersonal work. It's about oppression. It's about self-oppression. You know, it's about all kinds of like deep, difficult internal things, like to the end of being a more liberated and less oppressive person. And I, I agree with your assessment that we should all be in therapy. I'm also hearing you say that one of the things we need to be mindful of is just to like check ourselves from the very beginning. Where are we coming from? What are we feeling? What might be the source? And just to sit with it, especially when we're feeling triggered. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I'm in a situation. I get triggered. I check in with myself. And I'm like, okay, this is definitely some deep childhood shit, which is normal for all of us, right? Whether or not we're aware of it. Okay, here's my deep, right. deep childhood shit, right? And typical deep childhood things could be any number of things for any number of people, right? But there's some stuff about abandonment. There could be stuff about like not believing, not being heard, not being seen, you know, what are common things you see? You know, everything that you, that you just mentioned. You know, one of the activities that I do around conflict really goes back to what examples of conflict did you see as a child mm. and how did they impact you, mm-hmm. right? What experiences did you have as a child and growing up, right? And oftentimes, you know, in this white dichotomous society that we, that we live in, uh, there's often this thinking that we can actually separate parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm which part of that separation is the insanity, right? And not understanding that uh, we need to operate in a oneness and that everywhere that we go, there we are, right? So there are no parts of ourselves that we leave behind. Right. Right. So being able to examine where are these feelings coming from? You know, what happened to me as a child? Was I abused in some way? You know, as you mentioned, do I have abandonment issues, right? Have I been mentally abused, verbally abused, physically abused, sexually abused, right? And how have these things impacted me? Generally, you know, most people, especially BIPOC folks, uh, the minute we are conceived, we automatically have historical trauma. Yeah. Right. So so then when we come into the world and we may experience some familial trauma, right, then immediately it goes to complex trauma. And oftentimes our activation is based on something that has happened to us in our past that we have not dealt with. One of the I'm also a member of Narcotics Anonymous. Being a part of N.A., what that began to do for me was, you know, there's step work that you have to do. And step work is about critically reflecting on who you are, how you show up in the world, who you have harmed, how to make amends for those harms, right? And then how to examine every situation to say, what's my role and what happened? The important part is that I have looked at it. I have critically examined and said, what's my role? Now, what's your role? What did Michelle do? Lord, Michelle, she did this and oh, it just got on my nerve. No, 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 no. What did I do in that situation? How did I show up? Right. How was I? And I'm and, and again, am I willing to take ownership for my part 
in my role. Most people aren't. Right. Because again, we're in a we're in a society where supremacy culture has this great impact of othering everything outside of yourself. Yeah. Right. And regardless of who you are in this country, in this, you know, society here, we have all been swimming in the waters of white supremacy culture. So therefore we have taken on some of those ways. Right. Right. So we other, right. And we project stuff outside of ourselves because we don't want to deal with our own shadow and our own stuff. Right. So we, we have to be willing to do that. And a lot of people just don't want to do that work, That's you right. know, and the, and the work that I do, the critical and number one tenet that I talk about is personal work is required. And most people do not want to do their own personal work. So true. <laughs> so true. Right. Yeah, I've, I've been married a couple of times. Okay. And what I learned was that in each one of those marriages, there was a common denominator. <laughs> you it know, was you. It was me. <laughs> it was me. Right. So it's not about the other people, you know, and how they showed up. It's about how I show up. Right. Right. And do and do I know who I am? And just like, you know, therapists or coaches, you know, we always say if you're a therapist or a coach, then you need to have a therapist or a coach. Right. And sometimes, you know, I don't like talking to my coach because she asks questions. I'm like, I ain't ready to deal with that. True confessions, Kevin. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so I, I get it. You know, I get it. But but there again, we have to be willing to engage and continue to self-reflect. You're listening to The Ethical Rainmaker, and I'm your host, Michelle Shireen Murray. Today, we're in conversation with Kevin Baker of The Baker Consulting about cancel culture and radical inclusivity. Join us for this content and more on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and our website, theethicalrainmaker.com. You do a lot of work with organizations and you, you design workshops and trainings and retreats that provide spaces for staff members of organizations to be vulnerable, to express their thoughts and feelings and beliefs. And that can be sticky. That can be tricky. And I know a lot of conflict comes up and you navigate that as a facilitator. What, what would be like a common situation that you have been navigating that we could learn from? When you read an email, because emails, first off, emails have no tone, right? It's just words on a page that you read. Right. There's no tone. There's nothing else there but a piece of paper and words on the paper. If you're in relationship with the person who wrote the email, if you're in a good relationship with them, then you will tend to show up with compassion and understanding. So they may write this very short, brief email, not answer all of the questions that you may want answered, but because you're in relationship with them, you say, oh, maybe they're busy. Maybe something is going on with them. I'll work with this and I'll talk with them later. It's all good. If you're not in relationship with them or the relationship is rocky, then what you hear is or what you say is, oh, my God, 
They didn't answer all of my questions. I can't believe them. This was just a short email. I just don't get it right. Here's the other part. We tend to, when we're reading the email, we tend to hear that person's voice in our head. So it's like they're reading it to us. And all of the attitude that we attribute to them or to our relationship with them shows up in our heads, which then causes causes a reaction in us. Right. Because oftentimes what we do is we, we react and we don't respond. So we've read this email and then all of a sudden I have been activated, right, based on what I've read. Now, in essence, in, in that situation, whenever we're reading, you know, or interacting with others, one of the first things that we should ask ourselves is, what is the help that is needed here? Because we don't know what's going on in people's lives. Because oftentimes we haven't done the work necessary to build a relationship with them. So we even know what's happening in their life. Right? So what's the What's the need here? Is this person in stress, under duress, or going through something where we need to show up with some passion and ask them, hey, what's, what's, you know, I got your email. It seemed a little short to me. You know, I'm just wondering what's going on and how can I help you? And then oftentimes that gives the opportunity for that person to show up and say, you know what? You're right. It was short. I was doing three or four things at the same time and my phone was ringing and my kids were running around and, you know, and this was happening and all of these things. Right. So I didn't quite give it the attention that I needed. So instead of passing judgment there, how do we the question again? How do we show up and ask ourselves, what is the help that's needed? Because we will label people. We will get to the edge of going to our supervisor and reporting or blind copying other folks on emails. Their supervisors to say, hey, you know, some here's some interaction and to make sure things happen, I'm going to CC someone else. Right. Right. It's happening in about three or four organizations that I'm working with right now. Makes sense. You know, it is is the it's the same thing. And 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 again. You know, we're not showing up in ways to be helpful to each other. So that email that's short and is missing context, we've got one option. You have the recipient of the email going and clarifying and saying, you know, we don't have much of a relationship, but I just wanted to say that sounded that you're missing some things that I asked for. It's sounding short. What's happening, right? So you're talking about direct communication around that moment. Yes. Giving the sender a chance to say, yeah, I had 10 things going on, my kids, the dog, the doorbell, this call. I was also trying to right. eat a snack because I hadn't eaten all day. That's what's up. Let's take a step back. All right. Right. Yes. Okay. I'm, I, don't, I may not have the best relationship with this person, right? So before I go and say anything, maybe the first thing that I do when I talk to them is, hey, how are you? How's your day going? Right. Have you had anything to eat today? Would yeah. you like, would you, you, do you want to take a few minutes and get something? Right. Right. Why don't, why don't we have a Zoom call and I'm going to bring my lunch and you bring your lunch. 
and let's just sit and have a conversation, right? Right. So the thought is instead of instead of us again wanting to put the priority on the acquisition of objects, this work product that I got to get out, right? Let's put the relationship first. And perhaps in doing so, the next time I read an email from this person, instead of hearing this adversarial voice in my mind, I hear a voice of compassion. Mm -hmm. And then that can also give the opportunity for the other person to 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 say, because by the time you go through all of this and then, you you know, after 15 or 20 minutes in the conversation, you get to if you're OK with it, I would like to talk about this email. And if this isn't a good time, let me know when is a good time for us to have that conversation. I hope I'm answering your questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I what I hear you say is that part of the work beyond therapy and beyond self-reflection and understanding our own ecosystem, what's happening emotionally inside of ourselves, what's triggering us, like checking our reactivity and what that's about. I'm hearing you also say that Another, you know, another step is really creating the graciousness and the space to address the situation directly after trying to build some more rapport, gaining consent to have that conversation, like after checking, is it okay if we have a conversation about this, right? Consent being huge. And I'm hearing you say, you know, allowing ample space for there to be a reconciliation around what happened. And, you know, in this example, getting, you know, the ask or whatever they were looking for. I think there are also some really higher stakes situations that have been happening around me. And it can look like some shit goes down and it gets escalated quickly. And there might be like a public outcry, right? So quick, quick, we got to make a decision about what to do. We don't want to look bad. We need to make some moves really quickly. Let's just make a big move, right? Usually someone gets fired or chastised or whatever. Right. Let's be performative. Yeah. So that people don't think that we're as bad as we really are. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, So let's do something performative instead of taking the the transformative opportunity to do the work, to ask the questions of, you know, okay, so, you know, something was said and we want to first acknowledge intent over impact. So maybe you didn't intend to cause the harm that you did in this statement, but you caused harm. So now in light of that, what work are you willing to do to learn, to understand in an authentic and genuine way? Right. Again, looking for and trying to distinguish between being performative and transformative. Right. Organizations and people will be performative for the sake of how people may look or view it. And we must begin to look at situations as learning opportunities. Right. And not opportunities to lynch people. Right. You know, we find that some people are just stupid. (sighs) And with some of them, you know, we may not be able to help, but calling someone in will give the opportunity to see, is this person willing to learn or not? And if they are willing to learn, then am I willing to teach? And we have to be willing to teach. Yeah. And to to give that opportunity. 
instead of just throwing people to the wolves. I've I've got some more questions here. This is like okay. juicy. This is Come juicy on. for me. <laughs> so, okay, one, if I'm going to call someone in and they're willing to learn, I have to be willing to teach. So what do we say or what do you say about the concept that like, I don't, I, I don't want to teach you. You did me harm. I called you in. You're willing to learn, but it's not my responsibility to teach you. Well, then find someone who is willing. Okay. One, one of the things that I hear a lot from BIPOC folks is it's not my job to teach white people. Right. I've heard that a lot. Right. And I will say, okay, no, it's not, but it's my job. So reach out to reach out to Kevin, because Kevin don't mind teaching white people. Right. My tolerance level is very high for that. That's kind of what I was built for. And at the same time, what do you know about it? What work have you done? Right. So we're calling someone else out, but what work have you done? Have you seen a therapist or a coach? Right. Right. Is this your internalized oppression that's kicking up? Right. Do you recognize how supremacy culture is, is operating within you? Right. Which is kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, which is that like doing immigrant rights work earlier in my career, coming from an immigrant family, I still had a lot of misconceptions and like, you know, just stuff. And my colleagues took that time. They built the roadmap for me and they gently, you know, pointed out the way continually. And, you know, as a result, I'm a much different person with a much different viewpoint than I would have had had I not had that beautiful, gentle education. I'm Michelle Shereen Miri, your host on The Ethical Rainmaker. In this final episode of season three, we're talking to Kevin Baker about a juicy issue, how to come back from a workplace conflict. Another big problem that I have seen is there's a conflict, right? And maybe one person has a big problem with another person. Maybe person B is like, oh, you have a problem with me? Let's work it out. What do you want to do about it? I'm willing to do anything. And then person A basically is like, no. (laughs) when we shut down people who want to do well, right, who want to do repair work and we don't provide opportunities or we don't allow that or participate in that work, then what? If that person is coming and saying, hey, I want to do some repair work, are they coming from an adversarial perspective? Are they coming from a genuine perspective of wanting to learn, understand, and own their own part in it? Right. If they don't want to do that, then I understand why people may not want to, you know, enter into this conversation. Right. Right. But if they are willing and the other party is unwilling, the first question goes to why are you unwilling? Right. What is what has happened within you? And do you just want to stand in the mode of judge and jury? Right. Or in the case of those of us who are conflict avoidant, myself included, by the way, I'm always doing I'm always doing that work and I'm doing it in therapy and I'm doing it with friends. <laughs> but, you know, I have also seen people take power from not addressing the thing, right? Like, Kevin, like, you have a problem with me. Maybe I'm willing to address it, but maybe you're like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to address it with you. And there's some, and like in that way, you can hold me in attention where you're holding me at arm's length saying, I don't want to deal with you, 
but like nothing is ever resolved and that can give you power. Well, perhaps so. What I found is that in life, we're presented with challenges. So as an example, let me, let me start this way. Our lives are sacred journeys and learning experiences. So when we come into a challenge in our lives, that challenge is a growth opportunity. If we accept that growth opportunity and overcome it, then we grow and we learn. And then the universe being what it is, is going to present us with another yeah. challenge and life opportunity to, to learn, right? But if we reject the journey and say, no, I'm not going to do it, then life will just continue to present other opportunities for us to get this same lesson until we take it on, right, and work to move through it. Whenever we talk about or think about power, we have to, a word that we need to associate with power is supremacy. Because if we're seeking power, then we're seeking supremacy. That's real. Domination. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've heard stuff like, you know, there are words out there that people say, we've taken this word back. Yeah. It's ours. We've taken the power out of it. No, you haven't. Only thing you've done from oppressive mindset is someone else doesn't have to call you that name now because you calling yourself that name. That's not power. That's not taking anything out of it. That's just showing that I have shackles on my mind. One of the questions I kind of want to pivot to is about people who hire you and when they're doing it performatively because you are a black man, like in this journey. Do you mind if I ask you that question? Oh, no, no, that's fine. I want them to hire me. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm on, and I'm going to ask them in the work, are you being performative or do you want to be transformative? If you want to be transformative, I will take you on that journey. One of the things that Tim Wise said years ago was until white folks can listen to people of color say the same things that he's saying, then nothing is happening. If white people, black people, brown people, anyone wants to hire me to come in and do some work, come on, let's, you know, I'm willing and ready and able. And if your initial motivation is performative, then perhaps in that process, we can get you to a place of really wanting to be transformative. Wow. All right. So you'll take them. You'll take folks, even if they're hiring you performatively, even if they're trying to check a box, because you might be able to just sway them. I may be able to do that. Oh, I love it. I love that optimism. That's right. great. I may be able to do it. May, may, and, it and it could be the opportunity, because oftentimes it's, it's about planting seeds. There's a saying, right? Uh, watch pot don't boil. Yeah. So give me the opportunity to plant the seed and maybe some fertilizer will come or some other things will come. And then there'll be an opportunity to come back when you're ready. A friend of mine last night was describing that they were part of like a cohesive community of chosen family and that there was one problematic, you know, one person doing some problematic things who maybe got called out repeatedly by friends. But in the end, the group just fell apart because they couldn't figure out like how to have those difficult conversations, how to create accountability, how to do repair work 
you know, and we see that need, right? Like the need for, for deep repair. And I feel like most of us don't know how to do that. You're absolutely right. And part of it is the fact that we don't want to take the time necessary to engage in the work that's necessary, right? We are so used to quick fixes. And if it isn't a quick fix, then we don't want to be a part of it. Time is infinite. And for the change that we really need in our world, we need to begin to view the construct of time through an African-centered way of being versus a white Euro-centered way of being. Say more. So Dr. Nichols, when I've heard him talk about why time is so important, what he talks about is the fact that in Europe, there were very harsh winters. And if you did not plant on time or harvest on time, you died. So therefore, we have to always keep time right in front of us. Mm. For those of us from warmer climates could go out at any time and pull an apple or a piece of fruit from a tree, throw a seed, give it a little water, and it will grow any time of year. Mm-hmm. So the concept of time there is different. Right. And that's, that's the approach that we really have to take. And we have to remember part of the obstacle to that is that we're living in a supremacist culture that worships the acquisition of objects. Every year we have to make more and more money. That's right. You know, stands over people for them to do work not believing if people worked at home that they would actually work, right? Because supremacy also says, I have to watch you. I can't trust you, Mm -hmm. right? Because of this individualistic mindset, you know, that white normative behavior shows up in instead of the collectivist interdependence that other worldviews come with. And then all of a sudden we're hit with a pandemic. People go home, work from home. And guess what? Productivity goes up because you're not standing over my shoulder, because I'm going to actually do what I need to do because I have a sense of responsibility. And I'm not tired when I get to work because I didn't spend an hour and a half or two hours on the road. So even, even in this, a lot of BIPOC folks are reporting that microaggressions and all of that stuff have gone down. They haven't gone away but have gone down because they have not had to go into offices where, where people have the opportunity to microaggress, micro invalidate or insult them. Part of our issue in this society when we think about and want organizational change is around decolonizing and deconstructing white normative behaviors. That's not only bad, for BIPOC people is also bad for white people. Kevin Baker, thank you so much for coming on The Ethical Rainmaker. If people want to get a hold of you, since you love, you love working with folks, no matter what path they're on, we're all grateful for that work, by the way. And if folks want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? My website is thebakerconsulting.com. Dot com. My email is kevin at 
thebakerconsulting.com. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom, sharing stories. Thank you for, for I, I love that you said you were made to do this work and so appreciative of you for that. Thank you so much for being on The Ethical Rainmaker today. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you for listening to the last episode of season three. We'll be back with full episodes in a few months, but until then, you can expect fresh mini-sodes and some of our greatest hits content every other week. From excerpts of InstaLives to me riffing about nonprofit issues to repeats of our favorite episodes, you won't be left without content. Thank you to each of our guests this season for sharing their stories. Thank you to our team, Juliana Mayo, Jordan Heathcote, Stacey Wynn Creative, Coco Decker, and Jeff Entman. Thank you to the Trick Candles, whose music you can find on Bandcamp, which includes our theme song, I'm Gold. And most of all, thank you to all of our listeners, that's you, and all of our supporters on Patreon for making this possible. We just blew past 65 supporters, which now include Katrina, Shannon, Chloe, Andrea, Issa, Liza, Talia, Meredith, and Sandra. Thank you, homies. And again, we'll be back in two weeks with more content.